Hi, welcome to the first episode of Perspectives Unsettled. This is a podcast created by Uncharted International, um, and I am Emily Luttrell. And I am Ben Stewart, who gets to work alongside Emily. We created this podcast um, out of the mission of Uncharted International, which is to help people do brave things, advance God's kingdom all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And we thought that this podcast would be a way that we can help people do that by challenging some assumptions that we have about faith um, and then aiming to move the average Christian from kind of status quo and into boldness and action. So for our first intro to our first episode, I thought we should all maybe introduce ourselves, talk about what we do with Uncharted, who we are, um, and then what kind of people can expect from this podcast. Yeah. So um, I came, my family and I came to Uncharted about three and a half years ago from Colorado, where we were part of another missions and uh, sort of church-based ministry. And it has been a fantastic ride with Uncharted. And I think one of the things that I love the most about what we get to do is seeing people really come alive to um, in their faith, to their relationship with Jesus, but also really come alive to just the intentionality, the purpose and the mission that God has called them into. So uh, Kathy and I, we've been married for 18 plus years and we have two kiddos who are awesome. And you are the executive, executive director. director. Yes. So I get to oversee the whole thing and, um, you know, keep moving the vision forward and helping cultivate the culture, implementing our strategic priorities, partnerships, things like that. Pretty cool. It is. I like it. I'm that, thankful. That's for great. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am the content manager for Uncharted. I am from the area and grew up in the churches that kind of created Uncharted. So I've known about it since it existed pretty much um, and got involved on staff about two and a half-ish years ago. Um, yeah, most of what I do is working in communications, uh, doing a lot of writing, um, social media, and then helping manage this brand Unsettled Collective, which we created um, as kind of another avenue to reach Christians and shake maybe them out of complacency or out Mm -hmm. of the status quo how we like to say a lot um and that's been really exciting to create and it's exciting to create something new like this podcast yeah it is i'm really excited about this you've done a great job with unsettled up to this point and i think this is a new good iteration of it thanks also we should mention that noah gray is here as well hi hi noah (laughs) noah is our communications director and producer of the podcast um if you have anything else to say about yourself, go right ahead. I have a lot of things I could say about myself. <laughs> um, I grew up in Evansville um, and joined Uncharted uh, about two and a half years ago as well. And as a communications director, I oversee everything that goes out publicly for Uncharted. Um, so what you can expect from this podcast going forward is we are planning to release one episode every month. We are going to organize topics based by a quarter. So for the first three months of this year, we'll be talking about missions, which as a missions organization, I think we're all pretty excited about. Hopefully, um, we'll be looking at, uh, Christianity and kind of what is the baseline 
level of what it means to be a Christian. We're going to look at identity and creativity. So a lot of really interesting things that I really like talking about. And I think we'll be able to kind of really dig in and figure out what our assumptions are about those things, how they interact with our faith, kind of examine what we believe and why we believe, and then how to move from maybe complacency into action or boldness. All four of the Gospels have a record of what we call the Great Commission. The most famous record of it is in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's pretty evident that this is important. It's one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples. It's the last sort of instructions he gives. Um, It's in all the Gospels and in the book of Acts. But despite the significance of this statement, there's a surprising amount of Christians in the United States that are generally unaware of the teaching. In 2018, Barna Group released a report of the study they did on the U.S. church. And in this study, it's found that 51% of U.S. churchgoers did not know the Great Commission. 25% said that the phrase rang a bell, but they couldn't remember what it was. 6% said they weren't sure if they had ever heard of it. And only 17% of churchgoers could say that they were familiar with the passage. Older generations were more likely to correctly identify it, um, but nobody did great. So maybe the literal phrase, the Great Commission, is being used less. Or maybe churches are using the phrase less because they're just not talking about missions as much. The work of the Great Commission may not be prioritized. And even when churches talk about mission, they don't always mean going to the nations making disciples. So what does the American church consider missions? Do we have a responsibility to work to fulfill the Great Commission? And what does scripture tell us about how we should pursue that? So the kind of first thing we have to talk about when we talk about missions is what is missions? What do we mean when we say we want to pursue missions? Yeah, that's obviously a great and essential question and also obviously one that can be answered in a whole variety of ways. And I would be quick to admit that there are people who, I mean, they make their whole careers out of answering this question. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, I'd be curious what, what you think of this statement, because for me, I guess just to kind of bottom line it, as I look at the arc of God's story of scripture, of the idea of God, God's redemptive story, really, to me, missions is, at its basic definition, an active and intentional participation in God's mission to redeem and restore creation back to himself. And so we can delineate this further, but I see missions as an active participation in God's mission. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> um, I think it's hard because even in that that statement where we kind of define missions, it's still vague and open. For sure. Um, and and there's a lot of conversation between like, well, if only evangelism, like if only literally telling people the gospel can only count as missions. Um, like, I don't believe that's true. There's a whole, I agree. a whole other aspect, but we tend to kind of fall in in different camps of, um, evangelism heavy versus kind of, um, maybe social justice or need-based help. 
Um, and we kind of get stuck in this either or when it maybe is both. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that God's mission is, is expressed in holistic ways. And, you know, I think there's other words that help unpack what we mean in the sense of what, what does missions actually look like? And just to jump right in, I mean, even going all the way back to Genesis and the creation account, there's a, a theologian and missiologist who's much smarter than me named P.T. O'Brien. And he has a, a book on theology of missions. And he points to cre- the creation account as really answering the question of why does mission exist in the first place? And without getting into all the detail, it's really interesting to see how he points out that the creation account isn't answering so much the question of how, you know, like, well, was it seven literal days or was it ages? That's not really the the intent, but more the why and how day seven stands alone and represents this invitation from God to all of creation to enter into what the Hebrews called Shalom. Like here, here's the Shalom, shalom, the peace, the rest, the presence of God and how after creation that was lost. And so when you think about this idea of Shalom, it is very holistic. It's not just evangelism. It's not just seeing people make some sort of change in in their thinking or something along those lines. It's also not just meeting felt needs. It's this holistic idea of everything in every way coming back into shalom with God, into peace and rest as it was meant to be with God and and creation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the one thing that everybody can, can agree on with missions is that it is always outward focused. I think Andy Stanley maybe said something like churches kind of forget that we need to be reaching people until we run out of money. (laughs) And then suddenly (laughs) it's all about, um, you know, we need to get out there and bring new people in. Right which isn't the only way to pursue missions by yeah. bringing people to your church. But but whether it's kind of a holistic felt need restoration or sharing the hope of Christ, it is, it is always about going out to people who have not heard or people who have needs and giving them part of what we have. Yeah. To add what to that Andy Stanley quote that you mentioned, J.D. Greer says, Jesus's measure of the church is not seating capacity, but sending capacity. So another way of just kind of highlighting like that outward focus. Mm -hmm. So I think one way we can kind of look at missions and maybe what it should be, if we're, if we're kind of starting from a blank slate and saying, all right, missions is going out to people who have needs, need of the gospel and it's restorative peace and salvation and also just needs, physically needs. Um, Where do we start? with most things, we should probably start with Jesus and his life. So when we look at Jesus's ministry and kind of say, how can we take that as an example to pursuing missions? There are a couple different things we can pull out. The first thing that I think of is that Jesus was sent by somebody. Hmm. Um, I think there's something like 40 times in just the book of John where he says the word, like, I was sent by someone. I'm here to do the will of someone who sent me. Hmm. And he uses the same word to his disciples when he says, like, just as the Father sent me to the world, I'm sending you into the world. So when we kind of think of 
of missions and going out, we should probably start from a place of this kind of responsibility that's been put on us by we've been sent. We have a charge. We have someone else's work that they're asking us to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're really hitting something important in that sometimes, especially in our Western culture, we separate being a Christian from living on mission or the idea of missions or mission. And, and we like put it on a shelf, if you will. So there's, you know, there's the missionary box and I'll, or, or the missions box and I'll take it down when I feel compelled to or want to. Um, but it's separate from my overall identity of being a follower of Christ. And I think what I appreciate that you're hitting on is this reality that to be a follower of Jesus is equal to being on mission. It is our identity. It's not a question of, are we on mission? How much are we on mission? We, we just are by nature of being a follower of Jesus. It's like saying by nature of being a human being, you breathe. And really the question is how much am I aware of it? How much am I living out that identity? So referencing what you talked about, this idea of Jesus saying to his disciples, just as I was sent into the world, now I send you. That's an identity statement. That's not just mm-hmm. like an activity statement. You know, here's a few things I want you to do. He's he's speaking identity over them. And I think sometimes that gets lost. Yeah. And especially when you think that, you know, the majority of, of U.S. churchgoers just aren't familiar with the Great Commission. It's not just, um, you know, we're not doing what we're supposed to do, but it's we're not being who we're created to be. Um, because it's an identity, it's just like this core characteristic of who we are, like as Christians and as people. And it's not, um, when we miss out on missions, we're not just missing out on like all the, the work that's supposed to be done, the, the people that need help, but we're missing out on, you know, our life as it was supposed to be. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I agree with that. That's a good point. So something that kind of goes with being sent, maybe in a more literal sense, is when Jesus did ministry, he literally went to people. He traveled around. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't kind of set up in a synagogue and invite everyone to come. He he went to the people. He um, ate with people. He mm-hmm. met with sinners and tax collectors. Um, and I think in our kind of mindset, when we think about ministering to people or doing missions, it's always kind of like, I'll invite you to come to my church. Right. Um, whereas Jesus was very much of a posture of, I'm going to go out to where people are who need me yeah. and be with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great observation. And you see that Jesus, uh, is pretty much always on the move. And even to the point where sometimes the, the needs, the human earthly needs of people he didn't let those slow him down. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't let those, uh, those needs bog him down, if you will. Like he was always on the move. He was always going to people, to the next city, to the next village, to the next crowd, if you will. And as he was sent, you do see how he demonstrates going back to what you said earlier, that holistic expression of mission that it talks about. He would preach that the kingdom of heaven was near. Um, so he's talking, he's declaring the good news of, of his father. And you also see him healing people, casting out demons and restoring sight to the blind. And so you see this 
holistic proclamation and demonstration of what happens when the kingdom of heaven shows up. Mm-hmm. But to your point, he's going to bring that to people rather mm-hmm. than waiting for them to come to him. Yeah. So, so with that, how would you relate that? It, it might be a little obvious, but how would you relate that to international missions? Like there, there is kind of this call to, to be on mission wherever you are, which includes your home and where you live, but we're also an international mission missions organization. How do you see like this characteristic of Jesus kind of come into play with that? There's probably a couple lessons that need to be learned from that example of Christ as he goes as a sent one relating it to international missions. I mean, I think the first one is again, to your point earlier, that global mission work is not meant to be just relegated to the act of evangelizing, nor is it meant to be just relegated to the act of good humanitarian work that meets felt needs. I think that one of the things the example of Jesus teaches us as sent ones who happen to go internationally is that when we come into a space, there needs to be a holistic expression of there needs to be a proclamation and a demonstration of what happens when the kingdom of God shows up. That would be, that would be the first thing. Um, And then I think, I mean, you always see Jesus coming in a, in a posture of humility. You see Jesus coming in a posture of learning. Like I love the story of the woman at the well in Mm -hmm. Samaria, sort of an unreached people group. You could say that was like one of the first unreached people groups at that, in that day and age that Jesus is going to. Mm -hmm. And just the whole interaction that Jesus has with that woman really speaks to a posture of listening, a posture of understanding her story, and a posture of, in a humble way, pointing her to something better. So those would be maybe two things that come to mind right away, specifically to international ministry. Uh, You know, again, with that second one, not coming in a posture of, okay, we're here to colonize you. We're here to Mm -hmm. give you the American way. We're here to give you, you know whatever. We're actually here to listen, to learn uh, in a posture of humility with the ultimate desire of introducing you to the person of Jesus Christ. So I don't know. What do you think in your experience with Uncharted? Like, how have you seen this example of Jesus as a sent one influence specifically international missions? I think with my experience with Uncharted and and going on trips is that being sent somewhere doesn't imply that there's not something already going on when I get there. Mm. Um, and part of it is because, you know, the communities that I've been to with Uncharted, most of them have, they've been developed over years. There are already relationships there, but part of that is God and the Holy spirit are working in places before we get there. And this is kind of more evident in the stories from acts, but I think Jesus is kind of the example that leads all of us in that. But going under someone else's authority takes a lot of pressure off of me. And also going where, you know, soil has kind of been tilled mm. and recognizing that that God is working in people before I get there. There is the story where Jesus heals a blind man and people are asking him, well, why is this person blind? You know, is it because of the sins Mm -hmm. of the parents? And he's like, I'm here to like do some miracles Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to heal people. And you're trying to like 
put all this other stuff on it. But like that guy, you know, had a life before and he had been being worked on by God and then he's healed and he's able to be a witness Hmm. and that his life didn't start when Jesus showed up and kind of gave him salvation. There's this whole backstory Hmm. that he had um, and that acknowledging that when you go places you're not, you're not the first person to step yeah, foot there. You're not walking into a vacuum. Yeah. Of, yeah. That's good. So the book of Acts also has a lot of examples of missions that we should look towards when we're kind of figuring out what missions is and should be. And the first thing that happens in the book is the descending of the Holy Spirit. Um, and Jesus actually commands his disciples to wait, to not go out and start preaching the resurrection until they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I think that kind of shows that all missions today need like a similar kind of start. They need Mm -hmm. to be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit before they can get anywhere. Yeah. And you see that lived out by the early church in Acts chapter 13, where it says, you referenced this already, the first mission trip, um, at least the first recorded one. You have Paul and Barnabas and others being sent out, but what's important to note is it's in the context of prayer and fasting and taking the time to listen to the Holy Spirit and to follow his lead that then mission is catalyzed. And so it's cool to see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus's command to wait, to wait for the Spirit and that it's out of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit mission happens. Well, then you flip forward to Acts chapter 13 and you see it actually being lived out. So I agree, I think. And this is why, I mean, for Uncharted, it's it's why it's important to us to actually state that one of our strategic priorities is following the lead of the Holy Spirit. That's not just something that we assume. You know, sometimes Christian organizations, it's like, well, we don't need to say that. I mean, of course, of course we're going to do that. But because of the value that is placed on it and demonstrated and even commanded in acts, it is something that's important to state that as an organization, this is where we start. This is where we begin is positioning ourselves in the place of waiting for the spirit to lead. One story from acts that's always interesting to me is um, with Cornelius and Mm -hmm. Peter where, you know, the spirit kind of comes to them both separately and both of them, are led to to people they really don't expect yeah. or maybe and even intend on hanging out with or talking to. Yeah. Like did yeah. Peter really um would he have planned on going to, you know, a Gentile's house, someone who has power right. and kind of leading them to salvation? I don't think that was in his plan. But because and the Holy Spirit did have to tell him a couple times. Right. And pretty <laughs> dramatically too. Yeah. I mean it was a pretty crazy vision. Yeah. And I think a willingness to go towards people you write off or people who might be even hostile, being open and aware of where the spirit is leading you is a huge part of missions. Yeah. It's a groundbreaking story. I mean, it's funny that you brought that up because I was just bringing up um, the, the, the chapter 10 in Acts where that story takes place because it really does set a precedent for I mean, you see it in the example of Jesus, but this is the first time where you see it with the early church. And it's why it's so groundbreaking that Peter is going to an unreached, overlooked people group. And 
again, I mean, there's a reason why we call uncharted uncharted, like places that are off the map, you know, places Mm -hmm. that, um, that are just not the normal in terms of what you think about. And whether that is an international context or somebody next door to you or in your workplace or even, even in your own family, like who are the people that are sort of the last people you would think of? Who are the people that are maybe on the margins? Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a groundbreaking story in the church's involvement in missions to see the Holy Spirit break into Peter's life and move him and invite him into a space that was completely off his radar. And that kind of goes into the next, the next point I kind of had gathered from stories and acts is that the gospel and the message of salvation is for all people. Mm-hmm. And again, that's kind of something we would be like, well, yeah, that's obvious. Like, of course, but, but there are all these groups of unreached and overlooked people, um, who live in dangerous mm-hmm. or hostile places for Christians to go into, or there are people who are in different socioeconomic classes mm-hmm. where they're unreached because no people don't want to hang out with them or they're unreached because people assume your life is fine. Yeah. You're, you're good. Yeah. Um, but there are so many stories where the apostles will reach pretty much any, any kind of person can yeah. be found. Yeah. Even Cornelius, that story we were talking about was someone who had influence and power, um, and money, right? Yeah. Like as a centurion and that, isn't necessarily kind of what one might go to when they think about reaching unreached people, but they're also part of God's plan. Yeah. I think it's a, there, there is an unnerving correlation between the longer you actively participate in God's mission, whether you, you know, whether you're just doing that in any context, you don't have to get, paid for it. Like we happen to as at a missions organization, but the longer any person actively chooses to engage in God's mission, there is a scary correlation to realizing how much prejudice lies in all of our hearts. And, and I can say that because that's been my own personal experience. I mean, it's amazing to me how as someone who is passionate about bringing the gospel to, you know, all these crazy unreached off the map type places. There are neighborhoods I drive through less than 10 miles from my house where I'm ashamed of the way that I think about those communities or the stereotypes that I make as I see people, you know, certain people walking by or the assumptions that I jump to, or it's just like, I say this, I say, yes, the gospel is for all people. And like you said, like, of course, that's it. That's Mm -hmm. an easy statement. But it's, it is unnerving for me personally, how the more actively engaged I am in helping bring the gospel, um, the more that statement is actually put to the test. Mm -hmm. Do I really believe that? It's interesting connecting a little bit of what you said to, to what Emily said earlier in regards to inviting people to church we often invite people to our comfort zone Mm -hmm. we often invite people into the place where we feel safe Mm. 
missions is kind of the opposite of that. Mm. Yet, in many ways, going around the world feels a little bit safer mm. or a little bit more comfortable than driving yeah. through neighborhoods 10 miles from your house. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think for a lot of people, international missions is is a trip, um, is like an experience mm-hmm. that they have and then come back to real life. Whereas, um, you know, missions in someone's neighborhood, mm-hmm. like that's that's more of a commitment, yeah. <laughs> and so that can seem a lot harder to somebody yeah. um, to just kind of be be all in all the time, yeah, um, or. Or it's maybe more owning the responsibility that we have, yeah. Um, because it's something you you see every day, um, as opposed to um, a thing that you do once and get praise for. Right. Um, it's a lot harder to to be engaged and be uncomfortable for a prolonged time when nobody is nobody's very excited to yeah to hear about oh yeah well i had dinner with my neighbor the yeah. other night um it's like great can i see a cool picture yeah. from <laughs> some sort of landmark somewhere else and often we're encouraged to to take that step or to make another step and invite those people to church rather than just meeting meeting them where they are right but we're also invited to go right uh, somewhere on the other side of the world and mm-hmm. meet people where they are right not inviting them to church necessarily yep. inviting them into a, a relationship yep. but not into a specific church but in our communities we're often expected to meet people go and talk to your neighbors yeah. and invite them to your church yeah which is kind of a weird disconnect yeah yeah I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, and there's also sort of this like on a missions trip, you you know you're going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. in in a variety of levels. Everything from the horrible flight to wherever you're going to language barriers to the spiritual uncomfortableness, you know, coming into an environment that feels spiritually different than you're than what you're used to. So you kind of pump yourself up. You kind of it's almost like this adrenaline rush like okay, I'm okay with the uncomfortableness. I can do the uncomfortableness. It's 10 days. It's mm-hmm. even six months, whatever I can. So we sort of pump ourselves up and gear ourselves up for that. But it is when you, it, it's the coming home. It's what is, what does it look like to be actively engaged in God's mission in the everyday, in the mundane? And it's not our natural tendency to wake up in our comfortable homes, in our comfortable environment, in our comfortable culture, in our everyday things, it's not natural to wake up with the overriding question of how do I help bring the shalom of God into my community today? A, that's just not a question that's common. Mm-hmm. And B, it requires it requires a more consistent and sort of like core level of sacrifice to engage in that because you are going to choose how to spend your time differently. You're going to choose how to spend your, your consistent finances differently. I mean, I'll spend $1,500 one time mm-hmm. to do a missions trip, 
but you're asking me on a monthly basis to do some to spend my money in a way that's generous for my neighbors or generous for my community or generous for this nonprofit that's addressing the issues of mm-hmm. whatever, you know, that's ugh, wow, man, now we're. Yeah. And I think people get much more cynical about their own um, communities than they would going somewhere overseas. Um, you know, you you look at the the income imbalance in your own city and the level of poverty and you kind of think like, oh, well, I can't give money to that because I see like this prolonged trend and I'm very cynical about the kind of help that I think they should get. Um, and you have more relationships to the area so you can see more negatives. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, something where you don't spend a whole, um, if you don't have a very strong relationship with that area, then you kind of come in and see, um, the work that you feel like you're doing and the good that you think you're providing and then leave. And you don't ever have to think about any sort of negative action that came from it. Yeah. Yep. So I think this has been a great conversation, but I have a question that, that may help people who are listening to this, who haven't been engaged in missions, who may think, well, why does this matter for me? Why does this matter for everybody? Do, do we all have to go to overseas? Do we all have to meet our neighbors? Do we have to see them in the grocery store after we talk to them once? <laughs> but what are some small ways to start on that journey? What are some small questions that we can be asking ourselves? What are some small um things that we could do that would start us on the right path or start us on a good path toward being engaged in missions. I think one thing that would be a great start for somebody is to find a sort of avenue of missions that you are passionate about, whether that's international or, you know, your local, um, a, a poverty issue in your area or um, other kind of issues that you are intrigued about getting involved in and then find a person who is doing that. If that's somebody who works for a nonprofit in your area, somebody who just spends a lot of time volunteering with different organizations that are doing something you think is cool. If you're interested in missions overseas, see if you can find somebody who is overseas doing it and then just kind of develop a friendship and a relationship with them. Because I think missions is really all about relationship building and starting with, you know, friends who are doing it, who can lead by their example and who can involve you in something that they're doing is a great way to start. And it's kind of an easy on-ramp as opposed to just like looking at the globe and thinking like, mm-hmm. well, I got to go. I'm going to spin it. <laughs> I'm going to spin it and throw a finger. dart. Yeah. 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 So I hear like when I hear you talking, the word proximity comes to mind, like put yourself in proximity to other people who are living it out, whether that's in your own community, neighborhood, whether that's international workers who are doing it. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's good advice to be around other people that can help shape that for you. I, I would say the thing I would add is, so this is this is super corny, but maybe a little bit memorable, but I would say to practice pause. 
And when I say pause, I mean P-A-U-S-E, not P-A-W-S. Mm, okay. Yeah. But thinking back to what we talked about earlier in Acts chapter one, where Jesus's first command is to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then what we see practice in Acts chapter 13, which is in the context of listening to the Holy Spirit, then mission happens. And so I think a habit that I'm trying to practice in my own life and would also be the the answer to your question, Noah, is to actually each morning, even if it's like five minutes or two minutes, literally ask the spirit, who is it in my day today that you want me to live out your mission to? Who is it that I can be some taste of your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your sense of peace into their lives? And actually believing and even expecting that the spirit will guide that. And especially in a hurried culture, in a hurried life, I think that gets overlooked. I know it does in my life. That could the Holy Spirit actually put in my mind or bring a face to mind or a name to mind or on my heart that today, as I walk into these different contexts, um, so I would say practice pause, take a moment each, each day and ask the question, expecting an answer from the spirit. Who can I live out your mission to? Yeah. You should probably do that before you do my thing. (laughs) (laughs) You should pray, pray about it first and then, and then meet somebody who's into it. So that was the first episode of our podcast, Perspectives Unsettled. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you're interested in learning more about missions or any of the things we talked about today, all of the books, articles, resources, scriptures that we referenced will be linked in the show notes. So you can go there um, to find some more resources and continue learning. Um, Thank you for listening to Perspectives Unsettled, and we hope that you will listen again. And so now, my friends, let us awaken to these certain realities that are true of us who love and follow Jesus. May you waken again, or for the very first time, to the reality that by nature of being a follower of Jesus, you are on mission. The life that Christ has rescued you for is meant to be marked by kingdom living gospel demonstrating and mission engaging choices that fly in the face of the comforts and safety that this earthly kingdom offers to you. Let's be shaken from our ease. Let's become unsettled with our comfort. Let's refuse the status quo. Let's throw off all the things that hold us back from unbridled participation in God's mission to redeem and restore creation back to himself. Let us be a people who are consumed with a desire to freely and passionately give away what we have so freely and graciously received from our Heavenly Father. Let us see that every day is marked with purpose and mission, that no day is meant to be wasted nor is deemed useless, that no relationship is pointless or unnecessary, but rather through the lens of God's mission, may we see each person, each interaction, and each moment as an opportunity to invite God's creation back 
into his shalom, his peace, his presence.